if you want something that's good and hot, just eat a hamburger, it'll hit the spot. You can see him on the griddle, go and flip it, it flop. Makes you want to do the Welcome to the, the BurgerPalaceAudio.com podcast for industry professionals. I'm Andrew Heil. From copywriting to producing, directing to acting in television, multimedia, or movies, the BPA podcast is your source for learning about the many different behind-the-scenes roles that comprise the entertainment industry. Today in studio, we have Stephen Bernstein. He's a five-time Emmy Award-winning composer. Uh, he composes music for film, television. He actually composes for orchestra, uh, chamber music, if I, That's right. if I remember correctly. His credits include the likes of Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, and you were mentioning Freakazoids. Uh, uh, Freakazoid, that's a singular thing. Okay. And, yeah, and uh, Baby Looney Tunes uh, and a few other uh, series that maybe folks haven't heard of. But yeah. So we've got a lot of questions for you today. It's just really fun to have someone that's doing one of those types of jobs that people probably don't think about, especially in animation. Uh, but not only have you done animation, you've done feature films. I have done uh, I have done a live action feature film with my wife, who's also a composer. We uh, we. Uh, Compose that together, I've, and I've written uh, scores for feature animation. There was uh, Scooby-Doo, Arabian Nights wow. a while back. There was a Flintstones Christmas Carol. I was on the composing team for Wacko's Wish, which was the Animaniacs movie. So you didn't start as a composer for animation. Yeah, that's exactly correct. I didn't. Um, you actually went to school in Colorado. You came to California. You studied at USC. What what did you think you were going to do when you were in school? What, what was what was ultimately the path that you thought you were going to be on? You know what? Um, I was maybe naive is the word. I really didn't give it that much thought. I the, my first year in college was spent as a chemical engineering major, which kind of blew everybody else's minds because I had done everything musical and dramatic in school all the way up, and then I went into engineering. And found out that I was not interested in engineering and then uh, wanted to go back to music. And I, I was amazed that my parents said, yeah, okay, because uh, engineering, you can get a job out of school. And in music, you probably um, won't. So was that at, at USC? That, that was, that was at the University Colorado? of Colorado in Boulder. And then I went to USC uh, after I got that degree. And I, I got a master's in music. And then I continued at USC because I didn't want to get into real life. And I uh, joined the film scoring program. It was the first year they offered it. Uh, it was sort of a guinea pig, one of 12. And uh, that actually was a turning point for me because uh, then I realized, oh, uh, yeah, people make a living doing this. But now you, you mentioned engineering. With mathematics, do you find that being a composer and being an engineer kind of have common ties to mathematics? I really do. And I think that um, a lot of musicians will agree. Uh, I think especially composers, orchestrators, uh, there is a kind of puzzle element to it. There is, uh, there is abstract theory involved. There is applying the craft, like engineers apply their scientific and mathematical knowledge. And I think composers still also um, apply the, uh, the theory and, and, uh, and craft and uh, to, to create something that, that is useful or enjoyable for people. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely a parallel. So you're in school in USC. You've already got your degree in? I got my degree in music uh, theory and composition. So you come to USC. Yes. And you're, you're a guinea pig in this program. Uh-huh. Uh, how did it tie into film and television for you? What, what were the steps? How did you, where, where did it lead from the very beginning? Well, I think in the film and film scoring program, uh, it was also called um, 
music. F- uh, what was it called? Advanced <laughs> 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 for the. It was a composing for the music industry, something like that. Boy, it's been a while. And um, the the way things kind of happened in terms of actual employment is that they had real professionals, working professionals in the field as teachers. That that uh, and they are extremely generous and giving. And uh, one composer in, in particular uh, kind of took me under his wing, uh, the late Fred Steiner, who, uh, just for those of you who don't know, um, he one of his claims to fame is uh, writing a big part of the library for the original Star Trek series. That's that's a credit. Which is a, an amazing credit. He wrote the theme to Perry Mason. Uh, I mean, he's he was really a phenomenal composer. And... He saw something in me, I guess, that he thought had promise, and so he, uh, I first was an intern for him and cataloged his records, um, straightened up his office, things like that. And then I got into some music copying for, a, for liner notes, and eventually it was orchestrating because uh, he knew what I could do from, from the class. So what did you know about him before you actually met him? Um, really nothing until he started teaching. Everybody gave their backgrounds. Uh, Alexander Courage was the orchestration teacher. He wrote the original theme to Star Trek that everybody can sing with that big high soprano thing. <laughs> right. uh, you know, so they, they, they give their backgrounds. I think uh, some of my colleagues in the class probably knew uh, some of the teachers better than I did. Uh, I certainly um, knew some of them, but Fred, I wasn't that familiar with. So there was was there a wow factor when you started working with him? Oh, absolutely. Realized- I mean, with any of these guys, it's like, oh my God, this, you know, you did this, you did that, and and it's like, I want to do that too. So it, and it leads to a lot of bragging rights, right? Like, hey, I'm working with. No, <laughs> you can't brag as an intern. I guess, I guess that's know. true. Uh, Amen to that. Yeah. So what was your first, so you worked with him? Did that lead? Did that open doors for you? Yes. When, Yes, because, so? because well, after I was orchestrating for a while, he had me ghostwrite a bit. Um, a couple things. I, I actually got to write a cue, one piece of music for uh, one of the first Next Generation, Star Trek Next Generation so episodes. So what's a cue, just so I know? A one small piece of music. It could be a minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes. Uh, and they stitch all these together um, f- to make a score. And so this this little cue I did, uh, it, it involved beaming, which I was thrilled to write <laughs> beaming music. Neat. Uh, it was great. Um, so that that uh, kind of got me started. And then here's the deal. Uh, Bruce Broughton uh, was hired uh, by Warner Brothers and Steven Spielberg to uh, to head up the music for for uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this was Spielberg's uh, first uh, inclination to kind of revive the old uh, old way of making animation with, with uh, every episode scored individually. I have to back up just a little bit. Uh, Steven Spielberg is the father of this next generation of cartoons uh, and probably the father of my career. Uh, in that he uh, wanted to bring back the old uh, traditional Warner Brothers uh, style of uh, scoring every animated uh, show with uh, its own its own score and uh, beautiful animation, great scripts, and so he uh, and Warner Brothers created Tiny Toon Adventures uh, as, as the first foray into that um, that project, and uh, he hired Bruce as the supervising composer um, to. Um, to take care of all the music. And it's really kind of impossible to do all the music for that kind of series and that kind of writing. And Bruce called upon probably the best composers in L.A. to help him uh, with with the show. And one of those composers was Fred Steiner. He uh, was also a teacher at the USC program. 
Uh, he taught uh, composition and orchestration, and Bruce taught orchestration, and they're both brilliant. And uh, Fred kind of took me under his wing as an intern, and I um, started uh, eventually uh, orchestrating for him. And uh, then finally, he let me do a few cues uh, on, on a couple episodes, and he was satisfied with those. I, I was learning the style as I went, and um, I got to uh, orchestrate more and more, and then I actually got to, uh, to actually ghostwrite some cues. And then I started working for another composer, the late Art Kempel, uh, who was also a brilliant composer, uh, great at the style, and I learned a lot from him. And... Um, so Bruce kind of uh, is, is my, uh, basically my, my grand mentor in that uh, he hired Fred and Fred hired me. And uh, then uh, it took off from there. Did you know how big that opportunity was for you when you got hired that first round? Yes, I absolutely did. Uh, for Animaniacs, yeah. Um, I, I really wasn't counting on, nor did I, you know, I, I didn't know if he would take me along or if he needed help. And uh, yeah, he said, "Yeah, come on, let's 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 bring you on, and, and uh, you'll you'll be writing on the series." What was the pressure like for you with that? Well, it was it was relatively intense, but the show was so good that it wasn't that difficult to write for, in the sense that you kind of knew what you had to do. Right. Um, the time pressure was immense, uh, and it was a lot more than we get these days. Uh, and we have more to do these days. I mean, then I was the composer. I would hand my music off to an orchestrator, uh, to an orchestrator or two, and uh, that's about it. And then we had two weeks per episode. Uh, and I'll tell you later how how that ended up in terms of time. Uh, but because I'm really good. interested in that topic. Well, I can, I can explain. Uh, when note. we when we got to Baby Looney Tunes, we had to do two episodes in one week. So mm -hmm. it's a fourfold increase in amount of work to do. And that's not only being the composer, but it's being basically an orchestrator. It was all electronic, so you had to be the performer, the orchestrator, the engineer, uh, all at once. Had you already been on the show for a while, or this was a new show? This was a new show. This was after uh, after the, the big shows at, at Warner Brothers ended. Um, and I want to say, going back to Animaniacs uh, in terms of pressure, because I there it wasn't really a pressure it was an expectation that that you set both for yourself and that was set for you uh, the the uh, producer tom ruger a uh, brilliant creator of the series we would meet with him and talk about the music in each episode uh, before we scored it mm. and the pressure was to to make sure that he was happy with with what you did and i i every, all of us had to rewrite on occasion a cue or two and um I would say uh, he was right. Uh, I would uh, uh, the largest portion you can think of of the time, ninety nine point nine percent. I I reserve the right to to uh, to a cue or two that I thought worked better. <laughs> what kinds of things would he call you on? Uh, it, it was um, kind of maybe character things or or some of the animation that he felt needed to be um, emphasized with the music. Uh, sometimes it was a tone. Um, he, you know, he thought, well, something is too dark. I, I'm a fairly dark composer, I think. Um, and, um, he had me lighten up a few cues and, uh, you know, maybe something was too slow. I mean, it, it had to work with the flow and, and his original conception of, of that particular script and episode. But that's kind of interesting that you say you think you're a dark composer. Cause I, I went on, I listened uh -huh. to, uh, listened to a lot of your work, especially in the animation side. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't... Some of the video that you have posted kind of has that evil uh, feel to it, but it's still 
cartoony it's, as opposed to the Looney Tune stuff, which yeah. I feel is very, very light and, you know, tickle, tickle, tickle kind of right. stuff. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I was cast as a composer in that series with the very difficult episodes with very little dialogue. And they weren't as much in, in the Stalling style as the zany antics of the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister. Um, I had a, a show uh, that I remember in particular with this uh, moth who falls in love with a butterfly, and there's not a word spoken for the entire episode. Hmm. And the picture and music had to tell the whole story. That was a lot of notes. And uh, so, but and so I guess it wasn't real cartoony. It was more expressive. When I say dark, I guess it's it wasn't uh, uh, zany and loony because I, I wasn't given that opportunity so that take, much. You take a Fantasia, right? I mean, yeah. the Fantasia was. The music was already written, so I don't. I, I be honest with you, I don't know the history behind it. I uh, believe the animation was done to fit the music, yes, not the other way around. Yes, yeah. um, but in this case, you've got to come up with an entire score for a cartoon or an animation. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it was so much of a cartoon. Well, yeah, they're, they're, I don't find them synonymous. When you did that, was that was that something that was a digital thing for you? Again, I'm still fascinated uh, by it because I just I wonder. Some people uh-huh. talk about LPs and, and vinyl mm-hmm. <laughs> to CDs. Right. When you when you did that to screen, how would that work? You had to go into the office every day, I would imagine, to to, to work on something like that compared to, uh, compared to maybe doing it from home now when you can do it on your computer. Well, no, there was no real office. It was whatever studio. I'm trying to think where I was at the time. Uh, writing that um, may have had an outside space. I don't remember actually, mm. but um, I sit down and watch the footage, and then watch the footage, and then watch the footage, and really try to absorb it. And then you have to get done writing because time is wasting. Mm-hmm. So you look at uh, the first chunk, and usually the music editor will break up the uh, the the episode for you into chunks. So music editor would be responsible for what? Well, at that time, he would give us timing notes, which this is this was amazing that this was done. It's not done this way anymore, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, using Q, uh, he would give us a list, pages and pages of, of actions that occur on the screen. Door slams, uh, step, 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 cut. And, and every single action was uh, enumerated on the page with the timing. And you can take that information, and it was also an electronic file, you could take that information and transform that into a tempo that works. So you make the tempo map. It's very t- technical. and uh, But but that sounds like it's a huge benefit to you. I mean, that sounds like a lot of the pre-research was done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of knowing where things happen, I didn't have to stop the, the video and, and see what frame it happens but on. But now you have to do that. Now I have to do that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But uh, but the electronics, the, the the software is such that it actually isn't as much of a change as it could have been. So then I, you, know, you you have your sketch pad and you uh, mark in the main hits. This is where the door slam. This is the funny moment. Uh, here's a dramatic swell, and you kind. Of, I I drew pictures pretty much and 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 scribbles on my score to ex- to explain the gesture and and to try to achieve a longer line instead of minute by minute or second by second by second because animation can be uh, uh, so episodic in terms of the music i mean you could have two bars of of zany and then and then a bar of falling and then um, you know dramatic sad so i mean all all in the space of 20 seconds so the the challenge is to make that musical so i i drew on my page uh images to help me uh, get that. And then you do the technical things, getting the timing right, and then actually so, writing notes. Going back, how much yeah. different is it now in, in the writing? Do, do you find that it, it was a more creative process then? 
I do, actually. Well, you know what? Not anymore. I think when I first was forced, and I, and I really I emphasize that word, forced. to to switch to the electronic way of doing things, it was really a tough transition because I really enjoy pencil to paper. It's this tactical, tactical? No, tactile. Tactile. Tactile thing uh, with actually writing the notes down. And you know, that's how I was trained. I wrote notes down and I was uh, all my schooling exercises were done that way. Uh but now uh, I kind of I have things organized in my brain more instead of on the paper, I, I, and I can and I still actually do draw out uh, a, a bit of music and, and kind of where the high points have to happen, and, and sometimes I will plot it out on actual staff paper, time permitting. If time doesn't permit, I go straight to the machines. How do you keep things sounding different? Things in terms of the same. Uh, a score uh, for the same. Let, let's just use yeah. one animation series. Okay. It's going to have a common rhythm to it. It's going uh-huh. Maybe that's right. It's going to have a common soundtrack to it, I would think you would kind of refer back to. But you have to mix it up. It's got to sound different yeah. for every episode. Well, how, does, how does that work? I think that the, the picture provides that variety for you and the story. I mean, when we did Baby Looney Tunes... Uh, I, I, the, well, the, the, the best thing you can do for yourself as a composer is to have themes and tunes that you can use. In, uh, in both, in the Warner Brothers tradition, public domain tunes, tunes that are no longer owned by individuals but are, every, are useful for everybody. That don't uh, cost anything. That don't cost anything. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we use those, uh, and it's part of the tradition, and, and you try to, ha- to have fun with that. Uh, in, you know, kind of, you could have musical puns in your work. And also writing your own themes, you have something to latch on to. But in a series like, like I said, with Baby Looney Tunes, that was that was a huge challenge because it was the same small little Bugs Bunny and diapers, basically. Uh, we had our themes, but you know there would be dramatic things happening in this show, and in, you know in the other shows as well. There were, and and you find a way to transform your material into something that fits. So it ends up sounding different, but it has this this underlying style that ties the whole show together, that it had a sound. Uh, but the variety comes from, from the show, from the, from the uh, stories. You've worked with Thomas Newman and James Horner. Well, I've worked uh, on the teams that worked for them. This last, this last project was really fun. I got to work on Skyfall, uh, orchestrating. Um, the brilliant composer and orchestrator Jack Redford was a supervisor on the orchestration team, and uh, I was on the team, and uh, it was great. It was, it was an, and it's a phenomenal score. Thomas Newman's score is great. Help me understand the difference between composing and orchestration. Orchestration is writing down the notes that each individual instrument will be playing, or in the case of violins, groups of instruments playing the same part. Uh, and that's a specific skill. You have to know what instruments sound good together, what they sound like together, uh, how high and how low they play, what they sound like when they play high and when they play low and when they're in the middle of the range. So it's, it's a lot of knowing um, the capabilities and possibilities of an orchestra. Uh, in terms of, of the film, of film business and scoring for picture, it can vary uh, from the very precise sketch that you're given, and it's almost like uh, it's almost like music copying in the sense you you see on the woodwind line notes indicated for the flutes, uh, and also notes indicated for the clarinet, and so you just separate them on the page. And now, are those notes from the composer? Yes. Okay. And that's the way I I gave my sketches. I was a control freak, and I still am a control freak. When but I, I think the most successful composers. Well, and... not necessarily. Really. Because on the other side of the uh, the spectrum. There are huge names 
um, that I've worked with and for. And uh, I was given a sketch with a melody line, sometimes a bass line, and a note saying, um, listen to this other cue. It sort of needs to sound a little bit like this. And the orchestra needs to be dramatic. He would point out the, the, you know, the, the big moments. And that's kind of it. So you're relying a lot more on your uh, compositional skills as well. Uh, and, it, and it runs the gamut. It, it, it's anywhere from there uh, all the way through to the other side of the spectrum. How do you learn that stuff? I mean, you go to school. I go to school. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are orchestration classes. I, I got, uh, like I said, a Bachelor of Music. And in that degree was study in orchestration. And in my Master's in Music, there was study of orchestration in the film scoring class. Fred Steiner, Alexander Courage, they taught orchestration. Bruce Broughton taught orchestration, one of the most brilliant orchestrators, I got to say, in Hollywood now. Uh, and so you learn how this works. It's, it's a skill. It's, and, you know, it's, a, it's a craft. And uh, just and to describe, you know, it is putting the notes on, but the way the, the way I like to describe orchestrating is that uh, it's kind of paint by number in a sense, especially in those precise sketches you get. Uh, think of a composer as a painter, and he will and he will draw the outlines of a picture, sometimes very detailed, and then point to the sky and say, "Okay, I want this blue, mm-hmm. and I want the grass green, and I want the tree trunk brown." And then it comes to the orchestrator who will fill in, okay, what kind of brown here? Uh, what would go good with this green? Uh, is this a stormy sky for the blue or is this a dawn? Uh, so you have to choose the exact colors that, that will uh, achieve the composer's goals. This has been part one of the BPA Presents podcast with composer Stephen Bernstein. Part two will cover his Emmy Awards, thoughts on mentorship, and how to reach Stephen. Thanks for listening. This has been BPA Presents. Copyright of this program, 2013 BurgerPalaceAudio.com and BPA Presents. All rights reserved. I'm Andrew Heil.